And good morning to you as well. I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and it's great to be with you this morning. It's uh, tough. There are moments in life where God suddenly, divinely intervenes in our lives, and it turns our world upside down. And that's going to be the theme of this morning. How do we respond when God divinely interrupts our lives with things that we wished He did not interrupt our lives with? This last week I sent an email out that I typically send each week, and in it uh, cited one of the dramatic interventions where God allowed this event to occur in Rick and Kay Warren's lives at Saddleback Church. What a great church, great ministries, impact on just tens of thousands of people. And it was two years ago that their son Matthew committed suicide. And uh, as a parent of two girls and son-in-law, I, for the life of me, cannot imagine what it would feel like. I have no idea how I would respond if that were my situation. And she has had a couple of years to process it, and I cited some of the things that she wrote uh, in response to that at Christmas time. And I wanted to cite just a couple of other things that she said that are of intrigue to me. She writes, By and large, Americans are uncomfortable with such raw emotions, perhaps especially coming from a pastor and his family, referring to their own experience. As a pastor's kid, which she is, and now a pastor's wife, which she is, I have learned about the walk-on-water syndrome, that pastors and their families are experienced to keep doubt, struggle, grief, and anger to themselves, lest anyone think that they are less than perfect. May I gently point out that we are not superhuman or above pain, as none of the biblical heroes of the faith were either. Some of us are hardened by grief. They lose their ability to share in others' happiness. That's not where I'm headed. I'm doing my best to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Since Matthew's death, I've attended the weddings of friends, baby showers, graduation parties, birthday parties, well, most of them, because life goes on and it's not all about me. At the same time, it's been less than two years since our son took his life. There are moments when the happiness of others is a piercing reminder of what we have lost and will never have again. Meanwhile, I'm grateful for our family and friends who keep walking with us on the path of grief. There are those who enter fully into our tears and when we need to cry, who make us laugh at ourselves and at life, who gently inspire us to seek beauty from ashes, who point us with their lives more than their words to our eternal hope and home. It may seem counterintuitive, but it is possible to be in deep grief and yet experience the joy of the Lord. In fact, it's the Lord's joy that enables me to keep choosing to engage life and ministry, even as I live with a broken heart. And there are moments where God somehow, in a sovereign rule and will, that I don't understand this side of heaven, that He allows the tragedies of what happened in the Warrens' family's life, where their son committed suicide. And any number of us, and I would ask the question, God, where were you in his home when he took the gun and made the choice? Couldn't you or the myriad of angels you have at the spoken word divinely prevented such a tragedy? And those are troubling things. Those are hard questions. If you read the Psalms, You find a lot in the Psalms about the psalmist saying, God, are you silent? 
You seem distant. You seem absent. Where are you when, say, in David's case, King Saul comes to attack him? Where are you in the midst of such tragedies? And this morning, I want us to learn as best we can what we need to understand when God divinely, sovereignly rules and wills events and circumstances that turn our worlds upside down. And I want us to be able to journey well, much as Kay Warren is learning how to do that as well. We're in a series called The Followers. You have an outline that you will find probably very helpful today because, as I like to say, there are times when you and I, even as I preach, my mind might wander to something else. And I love to go back to the outline and say, oh, yeah, that's where I was. And you might feel the same way occasionally as well. And this is a tool that you can use as sort of a road map to see where we're at and where we're going. And it's also hopefully a reminder in the days ahead. We're in a study called The Followers. And we've looked at various people who are followers of Jesus. Last week we looked at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Speaking of Catholicism and sort of the praying, praying to Mary, you might reference that from last week. This morning we want to learn from Joseph. Joseph's story is told in Matthew. And it's in Matthew chapter 1 we see the genealogy, which is Joseph's genealogy. It shows that Joseph goes all the way back to King David. But we read in verse 18, here is the passage we want to camp in today. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. She'll bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is a great story. Matthew tells us about Joseph. Luke tells us about Mary. And here is what we want to learn from Joseph, the father of Jesus. That God wants to test the righteous faith of those who are his followers. And here are the two things we're going to learn today. Number one, when God tests us, he tests us to reveal our faith. And then secondly... When God tests us, He tests us to deepen our faith. So first of all, we're going to talk about how God will test us to reveal our faith. And then secondly, we'll talk about how God will test us so that we can deepen our faith. First of all, how God will reveal through His testing the genuine nature of our faith. It says that Joseph was a righteous man. And in verse 18 we read here, as you see on the screen, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Here is the first thing that will be tested in revealing our faith. It will challenge the relationships of our lives. And it will call for us to have a patient endurance as God continues to make that revelation of my faith known. Here is the testing in Joseph's life. 
Joseph in the Hebrew marriage of those days, as some of you will probably know, but a reminder to the rest of us, in those days the way that they would have marriages is the parents would contract between themselves that their son and their daughter would have a marriage relationship. So they had a contractual relationship where the moms and the dads of both parties would decide that, yes, our children are a good match for each other. And candidly, now that uh, we're married and we've been married for 40 years, I'm on board. I wasn't on board when I was a teenager, but now I'm totally on board with parents arranging their children's marriages. We are smarter than our kids are. They don't believe it. I know they don't believe it. But we've lived longer. We're wiser. We're more insightful, more intuitive. We're more aware. We can assess backgrounds and heritage and genetics. And we can match that all up and say, yeah, that would be a good partner for you. Just learn to love them. Just learn to love them. That's just the way it is because we believe it's the best for you. I'm on board with that, and I'm willing to begin to set the pace if you're willing to jump on board because I don't want to go there alone. But that's what they did in those days. They had contractual relationships. So Mary's parents and Joseph's parents somewhere gathered together and said, wouldn't it be great if you and your son and you and your daughter could marry together? Probably both of them being very much aware of the fact because in Luke 2, in Luke we read that Mary came from King David. In, Luke, in Matthew 1, Joseph came from King David. Wouldn't it be a great marriage? They have the same genetic background as to where they came from. And so lo and behold, they create a contract. And here's what happens. They create the contract and then they remain in their parents' homes for the next year. And it's during that one-year period that they make sure that there is purity in the relationship. And if anything should happen where, let's say, their daughter became pregnant because she wandered away with another man, then obviously the marriage is off. So it's a chance to also assess that Mary and Joseph have been pure. And so there is no pregnancy that takes place in the course of that one year. There's no partnership. There's no living together. They are separate. And after one year, then the groom goes to the bride's home. And he says, I want to take you to myself. And then there's this big parade, this big procession, where the groom then takes the bride to his home that he has built for her. And he brings that bride in, and they finally consummate the marriage. And of course, that's a picture of the church and Jesus. Jesus is our groom. Right now, we are in the engagement period with Jesus. And someday Jesus will come back as our groom, and he'll take us with a great procession to heaven because the home has been built, John 14. I've gone to prepare a place for you, he says. And so that's a wonderful thing. And so he brings her into her home. Now Joseph and Mary in Matthew 1 and in Luke 1 where Mary is being told from the angels and Joseph is being told from the angels and the dreams, they're in that one-year waiting period. And during that one-year waiting period, Mary is suddenly divinely instructed that she is going to have a baby. And it's going to be of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be miraculous. As a virgin, she will become pregnant. And it's during that one-year period that Joseph then finally has Mary come back to her home and they visit. And Mary has to somehow explain to Joseph, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Now if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking to myself, you have betrayed me. You have broken the vows of this contract that your parents and my parents have established. And we cannot go forward on that basis. 
because Joseph was not told about the arrangement between Mary and God until after he discovered that Mary was pregnant. So there was a period of time where Joseph was having to assess, what has she done to me? This beautiful, holy, young girl that I trusted has broken the vows. And so Joseph is being tested. And that's why I say my practical application is it's going to challenge our relationships when God divinely intervenes, when things are suddenly upside down and appears as though it's out of control, where it appears as though someone has done me wrong and I want to make it right. There will be periods of time where things happen to us that seem totally outside the control and will of God, and yet it's pure perception, but it seems so real. And I've got to rest in the fact that my faith is now being tested. And it's during that period of time, that one-year waiting period, where patient endurance ripes, uh, brings about a great benefit of fruit to Joseph's life. That's what we reveal. The second thing that's going to reveal about our faith is that's going to reveal the, our obedience to Scripture. I need to under, understand what Scripture says. It says in Matthew 1.19, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Joseph then has to assess, what do I do in light of the fact that my wife has disclosed to me that she is pregnant? She's given me this line about some Holy Spirit conceived child. Now, how many of us would say, you know, oh, that's a reasonable explanation. Yeah, oh, I've heard about that. Yeah, I heard God does that. That's interesting. That No, it happened to you too. Huh. Well, isn't that something? That I don't think is the way that this thing plays out. I'll show you why in just a moment. He knew that in Deuteronomy, he can either stone Mary to death. Deuteronomy says if a man is found blind with a married woman, then both of them shall die. Can you imagine how many funerals he'd be doing if that guy was still a law today? And the man who lay with a woman and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, and that's what he's reading about Mary, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death. The gate of the city is where the business of the city was done. We also notice in Deuteronomy 24.1 the other choice that he had. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and they were, they were betrothed as, as good as being married. So they were considered husband and wife in that one-year waiting period. And it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, like she comes back and she's pregnant. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. He said, that's what I have to consider. I can either take Mary now to the gates of the city and stone her to death, or I can write her a certificate of divorce, and that's what he chose to do. I'm going to write you a certificate of divorce. You need to understand, what does God say? I'm going to walk in obedience to his word. And so his, test, his faith is being tested. James puts it this way. Consider it all joys, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. The word trials there is a Greek word that refers to a baby bird that is now trying to use its brand newly discovered wings and learn how to fly. Jumping out of the nest, maybe for the very first time, he's sort of fluttering his wings as he slowly drops to the ground. He says, that's what that trial is like. It's like me trying to express the wings that God has given to me, and somehow I want to move forward and somehow uh, survive this test. I'm free-falling, but I'm discovering that the wings are beginning to work. 
That's what the trial was like for Joseph. It's for like all of us, he says that here. When you encounter those kind of trials, like a baby bird learning to fly, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That's what Joseph is learning. I'm having to patiently endure this moment. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. If I patiently endure the test of God, I ultimately will get what everybody wants in life. I lack nothing. I'm sufficient. We love to be sufficient. We always want more. Somehow we'll be sufficient. God says, you endure my test. I'll get you there. Just trust me. This is a revelation. It's revealing your faith. I'm testing your obedience to the Word of God. And if you trust trust me, I will get you to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That's why he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God says, trust me. The word blessed there, I love that Greek word. I often refer to it a lot. Two Greek words for blessed, but the one blessed is makarios. La makarios refers to the Isle of Cyprus, as some of you might recall. The Isle of Cyprus was called the Happy Isle. Why is it called the Happy Isle? Because on the island of Cyprus, everything that you need for life was there. You can be content. I don't need to go off the island. I have everything I need for life here. God says, I want to make you like the happy Isle of Cyprus, blessed, self-content. Because when you persevere under that trial, you become like that place, self-content, in the way that God has promised to care for you. Eugene Peterson writes it this way, one of the contemporary authors of today. Suffering is not evidence of God's absence, but of God's presence. It is in our experience of being broken that God does His surest and most characteristic salvation work. There is a way to accept, embrace, and deal with suffering that results in a better life, not a worse one, and more the experience of God, not less. God is working out His salvation in our lives the way He has always worked it out in the place of brokenness, at the cross of Jesus and at the very place where we take up our cross. That's James 1 in a contemporary said way. That God wants to bring us to that place of being perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. And so the first thing we're learning about Joseph is that God tests us to reveal our faith. It'll challenge relationships. It'll determine how well I know God's Word. But if we pass those tests, we will become perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus and Moses were two great examples. Jesus tested in Matthew chapter 4, and this is what Hebrews tells us when he passed the test. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. It reveals, Jesus' test reveals his sinless nature. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus' test reveals sinlessness. That's the question we need to ask. God, what are you revealing about my faith? Also in Moses, when Moses was being tested, Moses is is watching over a million plus people. How would you like to have like a million children? That's what Moses is dealing with, the children of Israel. And they're complaining and griping and and strife, and God wants to kill them every so often. And Moses says, please don't. It looks bad for you, God, if you do it. And God says, okay. I mean, there's that kind of stuff going on. But not only was he having problems with a million plus children, 
but he was having a problem with his own brother and his own sister. I mean, it's hard enough when you go to the office and you work and the people you work with are miserable, but then you have to come home and you still have miserable people you live with. I mean, it's just like you can't get away from it. You just want to get away. And they didn't have Southwest Airlines in, in those days. So in Numbers chapter 12, we learned that at home life is not good for Moses either. Miriam and Aaron are his brother and sister. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Oh man, I come home and they're just griping about me too. What's the deal with this? Because of the Cushite woman. He married a Cushite woman. Cushite came from another land. She's a dark-skinned woman and they're complaining on some sort of a racially based basis that you shouldn't have married her. But in point of fact, it's a smoke screen. They were just jealous of Moses' leadership. They wanted piece of the action. But that's what they said and said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? See, they want some of that authority. They want some of the power. There's a lot of pride coming out of their hearts. And has he not spoken through us as well? Aren't we good enough? Why does Moses get all the, you know, the great treatment? And frankly, there was probably many days when Moses says, I gladly would give it to Miriam and Aaron. The job is miserable. But then here in the parentheses, Moses writes, Now the man Moses was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And when Moses was tested in strife and division and undermining betrayal, it's then that his faith is revealed as being a man of genuine humility. It's when we're attacked, it's when we suffer, it's when strife comes, when division comes, when backbiting comes, when betrayal comes, when undermining comes, when loss comes. That's when we reveal the character of our faith. And in Moses' situation, it reveals that he's humble, not proud. A proud man would seek revenge. A humble man gets out of the way and lets God do the business for him. And that's what happens a little bit later on. But testing of our faith will occur in strife-driven situations so that the reality of my faith, be it humble like Moses, sinless like Jesus, or righteous like Joseph, so it comes to light. So I need to let God finish the work so that I can reveal to others and to Himself the reality of how deep and rich and real and authentic my faith is. Joseph teaches that God tests us to reveal what kind of faith we have. And I hope that we pass the course. I hope that we all get there. I hope we all get to that perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, beautiful position that God promises. And I'm going to hold him to his word. But not only does God test us to reveal our faith, God will test us and teach us to deepen our faith. That's where we go now. He wants to deepen the faith of, of Joseph. And he wants to deepen our faith. He didn't want to live in the sort of the superficial. And so what do we learn from this? We learn this. What does he, God want to teach us? It's what he taught Joseph. Joseph will learn about God's power when I need it the most. He learns about this beautiful mystery and the miracle of the virgin birth. I mean, this is just a stunning thing. So I want to learn about God's power when I need it the most. When I'm tested, God will teach me. And if I'm open, I'm going to see the power of God in ways I've never seen Him before. So here's what it says in verse 20. But when he had considered this, what did he consider? He considered about whether he should stone Mary or divorce Mary. 
So he's decided, I'm going to divorce Mary. I mean, that's painful enough. It's the severing of relationship. It's the breaking of the contract. It's the disappointment of moms and dads on both sides. And the city and the community of Nazareth. It's a small little town. Everybody knows. Oh man, Joseph couldn't keep her faithful to himself. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? And the talk and the backbiting and the gossip. And they'd be on reality TV. It'd be crazy that's going on there. And there's all this craziness that's going on. He considered all this. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And he comes in a dream. God did that a lot in the Old Testament. Did a lot in the New Testament days. Saying, Joseph, son of David. And again, it goes to the genealogy of Matthew 1. You'll see that. Do not be afraid. I know there's a lot of fear. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is thinking to himself, you know, Mary said something about the Holy Spirit and all that, and, and I just, uh, you know, I'm just not down with that. I don't get that at all. How in the world can that possibly? But then God, when you tell me, I'm, I'm more prone to believe you than Mary. I mean, I love her. I want to trust her. But if God, you say so, what's happening in my life is by your power, your Holy Spirit. This is some trumped up crazy image of what Mary's trying to do. It's what you're doing. It's your power that's coming into me. And here is what this word, I highlighted the word considered this. I love, uh, you know, when we consider something, if you go to the grocery store, I'm considering, should I, should I buy Cheerios or shredded wheat? Well, that's a nice consideration. I'm looking for a new car. Should I get a Buick or should I get a Maserati? I'm considering what should I, should, which, what should I get, you know? Those are things you consider. That's not what consider means in the Greek. Let me show you what this word consider means in the Greek. What's going on in Joseph's mind and his heart. The word considered has two words in, E-N, which is our I-N, in, and thumos. Thumos is a Greek word that can be translated strong feelings, passion, furious, or fume. Joseph has been told by his wife that she's pregnant. And he's considering this. He's considering death or divorce. And when he's thinking about that, it's not like, well, let's see, let's just flip a coin. No, he is furious. He is furious in his soul. He is fuming underneath his his passion is growing. We just don't see that in Joseph. We never see Joseph say a word, but we see his heart. We see his emotions. We see the gravitas of this whole situation playing out in his soul when the word considers this is truly a passionate, furious, fuming. How could you do this to me? What is going on in my life? God, where were you when she did this thing? I can't believe this. That's Joseph. He's impassioned over this. So we we see him as sort of this behind-the-scenes, quiet, strong man that, that has no feelings. He is out of control in his own heart as he weighs out. I don't want to. I don't want to stone her, but I don't want to divorce her. But God, that's what you said to do in your words. So I'm going to try to obey you, and this is just awful. He's fuming at Mary and at God. Maybe that's Joseph. And so what he is experiencing now is, God, I got to somehow come to grips with the fact that you're doing something here, and your power is. Okay, the Holy Spirit's on her. I'm, I'm going to trust you. 
But oh boy, in my heart, I'm just burning up. I'm burning up over this thing. He would have known Isaiah. He's, he's a righteous man who knew the word. And one of the things Isaiah would have said to him 700 years ago at Joseph's time, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, surely I will help you, surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joseph, would you hang in there with me? I'm all-powerful. So he's learning, I will learn about God's power when I need it most. Let me show you kind of a real practical way that this can work into our lives. and Not in the heavy way that it happened in Joseph's life, but a more simple way. This last Monday, one of the things I like to do early in the morning while it's dark and now it's cold. I hate dark, I hate cold. But I go out and ride my bike and go out Santiago Canyon Road and, and uh, sometimes some of you drive by and honk at me. And I'm waving. And this last Monday, one of the guys that I love to connect up with every so often is this pilot. I've shared with you about him. Some of you sometimes ask me, hey, what are you I call him Sam. It's not his real name. I'll see Sam regularly out there, and sometimes we are there at the same time. And Monday was one of those days, and we're riding together. Sam doesn't know Jesus. And I've tried to encourage him. Here's a book. And we're like, here's something dipped up. No, 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 no. So he's like that. So we're riding out there, and he's a, a pilot for a major airline. And this airline went bankrupt. He's telling me the story. It went bankrupt. And as a result of going bankrupt, as, as a pilot, he lost $1.2 million of his uh, retirement. $1.2 million. Man, if I lost that, that'd be 10% of my net worth. But uh, not true. Not true. But he lost it all. And here he's like, uh, I think he's like about 60. So he's young. And so, <laughs> but he says, I only got like five years to make that up. That's tough. He says, they're negotiating contracts right now, he said. I said, oh, tell me about that. So he talked about that, and it's interesting. And here is then his philosophy. He said this. He says, life is a lot like baseball. When you're in the batter stance and the pitchers are ready to pitch, the pitcher's either going to throw you a fastball right down the middle or he's going to throw you a big fat curve ball. And if you don't know which ball is coming your way, then you're likely to miss the ball. And there's a lot of things thrown at us, and this was thrown at me, and it was like a fastball, and I was expecting a curveball, and I completely missed and lost a $1.2 million, just vanished in the bankruptcy. Then he paused. And when I'm with Sam, I'm constantly saying, Lord, should I say something about Jesus? Because I don't want him to be avoiding me because I'm a religious nutcase that all he wants to do is preach at me. I don't want to be like that for him. So I'm sensitive. So he, then he paused. I said, Lord, now? And God said, yes. So I said, Sam, I don't want to get all religious on you right now. But that's one of the reasons why I love to believe in Jesus. Oh? Yeah. Because Jesus already knows if it's going to be a fastball or a big fat curveball. And because Jesus knows I can rest in His strength and His rule over my life, that He knows whatever is coming at me, He knows it before it comes. 
And I can trust Him when the time comes that i got to swing the bat, that He's in charge. So that's why I believe in Jesus. And Sam said something I've never heard him say. He mumbled under his breath, that must be very comforting. I said, yeah. And then he went diagonal on another conversation. But it was the first little window I saw. And here is the, here is the thing. Why do I share that with you? Because number one, you're going to be with family and friends who do not believe in Jesus. And you need to be ready to show them it's the power of God, that I believe that God's power will be there when I need it the most. And that as Jesus would know if it's a fastball or a curveball, and I can trust Him, that we need to let others know that Jesus is still alive, and Jesus has conquered death, and Jesus has power for the faithful. He has power for those like Joseph who trust Him. And let them know. That's very practical. We don't have to worry about, ooh, virgin birth stuff. No, it's just the everyday stuff. I lost $1.2 million, but I've learned what it means to believe that Jesus is still in charge when He throws me a curveball and I was expecting a fast one. We need to let people know that God's power rules over all those things. But not only will I learn about God's power to let people know that He's still in charge, and I battle that every day. I battle every day that Jesus is still in charge. You've got an insert in today's bulletin that shows the financial needs that we have between now and December 31. And it's a big need. And I battle in my own heart. Even as I preach it, here's true confessions. Even as I preach, Jesus is alive. His power is available. He'll take care of all things. I look at that insert and how big the need is between now and December 31. And my faith is like a shrink wrap. It just sort of sucks the life out of it. That's the battle we face, trusting God. But also I will learn more about God's purposes that will give me hope. Here is what Joseph learns, not only about God's power, the Holy Spirit will make it happen, but God's purposes. God, what are you doing here? Help me to understand this mystery of a pregnant wife who's never been with a woman. I don't get this at all. I'm just a little carpenter in a little tiny podunk town. And uh, I don't know anybody and nobody knows me. I never say a thing. I'm a pretty quiet man. I found this contractual relationship. My parents married great all on board, ready to do it. And suddenly you come along and shake the ground, the earthquake of my soul, and now I'm supposed to just say, okay, let's, let's go for it. What's going on? So the angel goes on to explain. The dream, I should say. She will bear a son. Here's what I'm up to, Joseph. And you should call his name Jesus. The word Jesus means salvation. Yahweh is salvation. Jehovah is salvation, for He will save His people from their sins. That's what I'm concerned about, Joseph. There are sinners in the world, and I want to save them. And you're going to be the father who takes care of the little baby Jesus until He gets old enough to die on that cross. That's why I'm doing this. There's a purpose behind it. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And this is Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14, the dream quotes this here apparently. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. God is with us. 
Now, Joseph being a righteous man, I suspect that he knew Isaiah. He had heard the, the scrolls being read of Isaiah. He knew what Isaiah had been promised way back in Isaiah 7, where the king of Judah was fearful of the king of the north of Israel. The king of the north is going to come attack, and God says, King of, the, of Judah, uh, Ahaz, I don't want you to worry about the enemy. I'm going to take care of you. Ask me for a gift, and I'll give it to you. And he says, I don't want a gift. Well, I'm going to give you a gift anyway. Here's the gift. There will be a virgin who will give birth to a child. And when you see that, you'll know that I am with you. Well, this is now the fulfillment of that. 700 years before. And Joseph would think in his mind's eye, you mean I am part of the fulfillment of a promise that you gave to us who were in Judah 700 years ago? I'm part of the fulfillment of your miraculous virgin birth that Isaiah the great prophet prophesied? I'm part of that now? This is amazing to me. This is Joseph. He's suddenly learning that Jesus has come in this world to give control and guidance to save people from their sins. That's why I love what, uh, the, the sense that God is in sovereignly, purposefully, powerfully working in this situation. I love this quote. I want to give it to you from um, Redpath, who when he was counseling a divorced woman who has lost her husband and family, is so troubled. God, what are you doing? Here's what he told her, Alan Redpath. There is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ, right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment. And maybe Joseph didn't fully get it, I don't know. But as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to Him and accept it as coming from the hand of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me. No trial will ever disarm me. No circumstance will cause me to fret. For I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is. And that's the rest of victory. That's what God is trying to communicate to Joseph. And frankly, for those of us who have ears to hear and an open heart to grow in, that God tests us to reveal our faith. Then God teaches us to deepen our faith so I can rest in the rest of victory. That God, whatever's coming my way, whatever circumstance I'm in, whatever problem or challenge you have somehow sovereignly allowed, God, it's come through you, it's come through Jesus, and you are always in control of everything. Help me to believe that that there's some divine purpose that I may not fully understand now. And so he says, therefore, we are still to trust and obey as a Jesus follower. Joseph is remarkable. Here's the last two verses. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I mean, instant obedience. This guy's incredible. This amazing miracle that most of us are just like, I have this crazy dream. I can't believe it's true. How can it be uh, angel and, and, and uh, virgin birth and my wife and Mary? This is amazing. How can I suddenly just get up and, okay, let's go? That's Joseph. It's incredible. And so he woke from his sleep. He did as the angel commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife. Now remember, they're still in that one-year waiting period. The one-year waiting period to determine if there is purity in the relationship. And this is the incredible thing. In that one-year waiting period, Joseph breaks all traditions. And he says, Mom and Dad, I'm going to go get Mary. I want to bring her home. She's going to stay with me. I'm going to keep her as a virgin. We're going to live together, but we're not going to have sex. 
because she's carrying Jesus. This is incredible. And then she, can you imagine living in Nazareth and you got this pregnant woman living in your home? And that's why a little later people would say, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, he is just ripe for the gossip mill. But Joseph says, I'm willing to put my reputation on the line because I am in obedience to the will of God. And he has spoken, I will obey. I trust him, I will obey. So he brings her home, kept her as a virgin, and she gave birth to a son. And he did call, her, call his name Jesus. Here's the question we close with. In what area of your life do you need to trust and obey our Lord? It may be in finances. It may be in a marriage. It may be in a parent-child relationship. It may be in a homeless situation. It may be that you're looking for a job and He's testing to reveal your faith so He can teach you to deepen your faith. Whatever it may be. And here's the last one. Maybe God is testing you to find out if you would be willing to admit that you're a sinner and you need to believe in Jesus, first of all. That you need to put your full faith and confidence that Christ came to die for your sins to set you free from your sins so that you can live a pure and holy life before God. That it, yes, indeed, it is possible to live the life that God's called us to live because His power comes across and His purpose becomes revealed and I live for Him now in purity and in holiness. And if you've never invited Jesus into your life, I'm going to invite you to do that right now as I close in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank You for Your kindness to us. Thank You for giving to us the story of Joseph so I can learn how You will test us but also teach us when the challenges of life come our way. And now, Father, Your Son Jesus came to save His people from their sins. And Lord, there may be some people right here in this room who need to be saved from their sins. And so, Father, I bring whoever they may be to You. And I ask, Father, that they would believe in You as their Savior. That they would say, you might say these words, God in heaven... I am a sinner. I am one that needs to be saved from that sin. So I now choose to trust that Jesus died for me. And I believe in Him now. Forgive me of my sins. And now help me to obey whatever you ask me to do. Because God, I want you to teach me about your power and your purpose to live my life for you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.